Well, friends, as we sit here tonight, we are one week from the end of 2022. Perhaps not for everyone, but for many in the room, that's a striking and even sobering reality. It's like, man, another year has passed. The words of the hymn ring true. Time like an ever-rolling stream bears all its sons away. I wonder, as you sit and reflect on the year that has passed, and as you anticipate another year that is to come, should the Lord give it to us, are you hopeful? Are you at peace? Are you discouraged? Or even afraid? I don't know exactly where you are or what's going through your mind at this very moment. There are a number of us here. But regardless, what is the most important thing that we, any of us, could know this holiday season? It is to know the love of God for us. What is the most important thing that we could be reminded of, therefore, tonight? It's the love of God for us. The evidence that God loves us, the evidence that God is graciously inclined toward us, has nothing to do with our lives. It has everything to do with Christ's life for us. How far would God go to save a people like us? Remember, this God that we're talking about is the God who is. He never got started. He has always been. If your children ask you, Mom, Dad, where did God come from? All you can say is, He didn't come from anywhere. He's just there. And always has been there. He is the one who spoke all things into existence. The heavens declare His glory and His handiwork. The Scriptures reveal that there is one living and true God. And He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He did not create out of need. And this is true when it comes to the creation of mankind. It is not as though the Lord needed anything. It is not as though He needed creatures to serve Him and do things for Him. No, He created out of the overflow of His own goodness. He created man so that He might have someone on whom to bestow His blessing, as many have taught through the history of the church. This triune God created man in His own image. Think about this. Knowing and planning that God the Son would become man in order to save men. In the Old Testament, whenever people have a vision of God, whenever God manifests His presence in visible ways, whenever people see the Lord, this is God the Son who they are seeing. Consider who it is that took on flesh. The words of the prophet Ezekiel in his vision. He says, above the expanse, over the heads of angels and living creatures, there was the likeness of a throne. 
in appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire, and there was brightness around him. Like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking. Consider who it is that took on flesh. In the year that King Uzziah died, writes the prophet Isaiah, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. It is this one, and none other than this one, who took on flesh and became a human being. How far would God go to save a people like us? Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For it was fitting that He, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. In the days of His flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death. And He was heard because of His reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. He said himself, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. And my own know me. Just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise partook of the same things, 
that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Oh, how he loves us. To close this time tonight, I want to tell you a story. Zechariah chapter 3 is a wonderful account of the prophet's vision of Joshua the high priest. And R.C. Sproul wrote a book for children called The Priest with Dirty Clothes. It's a favorite in our home. In which Dr. Sproul allegorized Zechariah 3. So I'm borrowing from both the text of Scripture and from that book. So over the next few minutes as I talk, consider the love of God for us. And consider the mercy and the forgiveness that are in Christ Jesus. In our story, there's a priest named Jonathan. Our story begins with him being ordained as a priest. He lies on the ground wearing an itchy, scratchy, brown robe. And upon his ordination, he's, giving, he's given new garments to wear. A robe and a sash and a turban for his head. These are the clothes of a priest. And Jonathan is going to preach his first sermon. He's going to preach in front of the king and the king's household. He's going on the day. He's prepared his sermon. He's anxious and ready. The weather is terrible. He's riding his horse to the castle. And because of the slippery conditions, the wet conditions, the horse stumbles. He falls off of it. And his clothes are filthy. He's mortified, thinking that he's going to have to go and preach in front of the king and the royal household wearing clothes that are dirty like this. But he thinks to himself, surely the king, he's a gracious king, he'll understand. So he walks in, takes his place where he's going to preach, and he opens his Bible. And there's a man who is the court magician named Malice who hated all priests, even the priests who had clean clothes. Malice hated them, let alone a priest like Jonathan, who had dirty clothes. And Malice stands up and accuses him. You are not fit to preach in the presence of the king. You ought not even be here as dirty as you are. The king calls Jonathan over. Jonathan explains himself, and the king says, I understand your predicament. I'll give you one more chance. You can come back one week from today and preach, but come back only if you have clean clothes. So Jonathan leaves. He's determined that he's going to clean his clothes. He's going to come back. He's going to do it right the next time. He does everything that he can to try to get the mud and the dirt out of his clothing to no avail. So he goes into the town the next day to the fuller, to the man who can get stains out of clothing. And he leaves his clothes with him. He comes back the following day. And to his chagrin, his clothes are dirty. And the fuller says to him, I, I can't help you. I've done everything I can. These stains are permanent. I cannot get them out. 
Jonathan says, well, I, I've got to have clean clothes. The bishop gave me these clothes, and this is the only set that I'm going to get. To which the fuller says, well, maybe you can go talk to the bishop because, friend, I can't help you. So Jonathan goes and he says, well, it's worth the chance to talk to the bishop to see if I can get some clean clothes to wear so that I can preach. And he goes and he talks to the bishop. The bishop, again, is kind and understanding, but he says, Jonathan, the rules are clear. There's nothing that you can do to earn new clothes. The only person who can help you is the great prince. Maybe you should go see him. So Jonathan goes to see the great prince. He walks in the prince's castle. He walks into the room where the prince is sitting and he's never seen anyone like this. Never seen anyone who looked like this. He's arrayed in fine purple robe, gold sash and a white turban on his head and his face shines like the sun. And the great prince says to Jonathan after hearing his story, he says, Jonathan, I will help you. But come over here with me to the fireplace for just a minute. And there's a stick on the floor that had come out of the fire, had soot on it. The king, the prince, excuse me, had Jonathan pick up this stick. And he said, okay, put it back down. Jonathan does that. And the prince says, look at your hand, Jonathan. And he does, and it's black. It's covered with black. To which the prince says to him, Jonathan, this is the problem. See, your heart is like that. It's dark. It's black. It's got a stain on it. It's permanent. But I can help you. Go to the castle on the day that you're scheduled to preach. Be ready to preach your sermon. Wear your dirty clothes. And I will take care of them. Jonathan then objects, but Prince, you don't understand. Malice, the, the court magician, he's there. He's going to accuse me again in front of everyone. I can't go in there with dirty clothes. To which the prince says, oh, Jonathan, I know all about malice. I know how mean he is. But I also know the king very well. You see, the king, he's my father. I promise you this is going to be okay. Jonathan says, but prince, how are you going to make my clothes clean? To which the prince says, because I promised you. And I never break a promise. I always do what I say I will do. Go home, get ready for your sermon, and I will be there. Jonathan arrives on the day. He walks in again and takes his place, dirty clothes and all. And as he suspected, malice stands up to accuse him yet again and curses him. May bad things happen to you, old priest. And just as it seems that all is lost and could not go well, the great prince walked in. He comes up to Jonathan and says, take off those dirty clothes you have. The prince is not wearing his purple robe. He's not wearing his gold belt. He's not wearing his white turban. He's wearing a brown, scratchy, itchy robe like Jonathan has on under his clothing. Take off those dirty clothes, Jonathan. And then the prince gave Jonathan a present. And it was the prince's own garments for him to wear. These are the clothes I promised you, Jonathan. There is not a spot of dirt on them. Put them on. 
and preach your sermon. And the prince went over to the king and he said, Father, may Jonathan now stand in your presence. He is one of my people. To which the father says, yes, son, as long as he wears your clothes, he may stand in my presence. To which the prince then turned to Jonathan and said, Jonathan, these clothes are yours forever. They'll never wear out, and nothing can ever make them dirty. They are perfect for you. To which Jonathan, overcome with gratitude, said, Great prince, how can I ever thank you? What can I do? To which the prince says, If you love me and you're grateful, then keep the commandments I give to you. To which Jonathan said, oh, I I will. I'll do that. I want to be good enough to wear your clothes, great prince. And the prince looked at him and said, you see, Jonathan, you can't. You can't be good enough. You must live your whole life trusting in my goodness while you wear my clothes. Saints, Jesus loves us. He knows us, and we know Him. He calls us, and we hear His voice, and we follow Him. He took our sin and laid His life down for us, left the glories of heaven, left His Father's throne above, exchanged His wealth for poverty. And He has given us His own righteousness to wear forever, that we might forever stand before Him and before His Father. All of this to the Father's great delight, and all of this to the praise of the Father's glorious grace. And now, may the Father grant that you be strengthened in your inner man, that by His Spirit you might have strength to comprehend with all the saints What is the breadth and length and height and depth and know the love of Christ. Merry Christmas to you. Grace and peace to you through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.